This is GWC podcast number 346, recorded October 21st, 2012. In this episode, we look at the history of Halloween and why we're so fascinated by zombies and the macabre. But first, your hosts, three unrepentant sci-fi geeks. I'm Chuck Cage. And one day you end up a big evil, you know, crap ass. And with me, Audra Hester. If I had a nickel for every time I got boned at the Eye of Jupiter. And Sean O'Hara. <laughs> I shall fart. <laughs> Our mission, enjoy new science fiction, fantasy, and other cool stuff every week and share the experience with you. Oh yeah, and have some fun in the process. GWC is brought to you largely by the generosity of listeners like you. It's your donations that keep us going. For more information on how to donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash support. And the fine folks at audible.com. Visit www.audiblepodcast.com slash watercooler for your free audiobook. Of course, we'd love to hear your opinions, too. So if you have something to say or, hey, you could introduce us to something new, don't just holler at your MP3 player. Give us a call at 214-296-9229. That's 214-296-9229, extension 701. And leave us a voicemail for inclusion in a future show. Better yet, you can join the GWC community, a group widely recognized as the friendliest people in sci-fi, and watching, reading, and enjoying all kinds of cool stuff 24-7 over on galacticwatercooler.com, our website, blog, and forum. GWC is a spoiler-free podcast, and we define spoilers as definitive information regarding material not yet released in the United States or its country of origin. In short, if it's out, it's fair game. Welcome back, everybody. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's Sunday morning. It feels, is. Uh, it is. Well, it's almost Sunday afternoon here. We're a little late no. getting started and everything, but uh, yeah, it's a good cast. It's a good cast. We got, uh, it's actually been reasonably nice out. Can't even imagine. I, it's Well, in Texas. Oh, I know God, it like snowed. It snowed like a couple of states up from us. I was talking to a buddy of mine. He's like, oh, yeah, man. There's like a foot of snow here. <laughs> really? It's like 75. He's like, shut up. I'm like, no, 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 no. We get a pass. It was yeah, 105 it's, it's 85. here. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was so funny. Yesterday, Chuck and I went out for our morning jog that we usually do. And uh, it had been really cold. Like, oh, I mean, not, okay, sorry, sorry, people, but, you know, for here. <laughs> for here, for, cold. Yeah, it had so been in the 50s, which you got to kind of dress a little for. It had been cold enough where, yeah, if you went out running in it, you'd want to kind of dress warmly. So um, I don't know if, like, Chuck's uh, weather report on his phone or whatever. Gave I think me, it was delayed. Like, I looked at it, and I didn't notice that it was, like, a couple sometimes. hours it's old. Lying, yeah. <laughs> You're lying. So, I should open the door. I usually do that. I know. He usually so, he pokes his head out. And I was like, hey, what's the temperature so I could wear the right stuff? And he's like, uh, it's like 58, you know? And I'm like, oh, crap. Okay. And it's probably windy. So <laughs> so we get all dressed up. We're both wearing like long pants. And then I've got a shirt on with a, a like running jacket over it, plus a hat. It was like, freaking 65. Like so. a wooly, you know? <laughs> I've got one of those hats with like the little ponytail hole in it. And then we get out there and this like this old guy runs by us in like a t-shirt and shorts. <laughs> I'm like, like oh it. crap cuz it was it was like it was like mid high 60s. <laughs> nice. So by the time we get back I've got the hat in my pocket. I've got the jacket like half off, you know. You're like, "Oh." 
<laughs> it was really funny. We're like in snowsuits. Just people running are running stripping. by like half naked, you know? Yeah, it was really <laughs> dumb. Dumb. <laughs> I can't put my arms down. So, there was a yeah. kid at the gym who looked exactly like Scott Farkas the other day. Crap. I wanted to tell you, but I couldn't do it without him hearing. Hey, you see that guy? Looks like Scott Farkas. It was awesome, though. He was lifting really heavy. He was like this skinny kid with like big, like pointy, you know, porcupine red hair, big freckles, you know. Well, he's not and, getting his ass kicked and he again. Was, he was so skinny. It was but, enough one time. By but the, he was lifting hard. I was like, wow. that little punk, he's, he's going to fix that, man. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Yellow eyes. <laughs> Yellow eyes. <laughs> nice. You guys ready for some news? Oh, yeah. And now. Galactic. Go. Wow, you were like all over that. I just wanted to talk about the really cool discovery. Uh, This past week, they discovered um, a planet that's about the same mass as Earth orbiting one of the um, Alpha Centauri stars. So Alpha Centauri is a star system. It's the one that's closest to our sun in our our system. Um, I think, what is it, like 4.4? What is it, Chuck? Do you know? I don't know. Yeah, about four four light years away, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's the closest one. It's our nearest neighbor. Um, the Alpha Centauri system is a triple star system. Like, yeah, it has three stars in it. Um, there's Alpha Centauri A, Alpha Centauri B, uh, which are... A is the biggest one. Um, hang on, I can tell you. Um, la, 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 la. So, uh, so okay, which, Alpha which Centauri method? A is is larger and brighter than than our sun, and Alpha Centauri B is a little bit smaller, and they circle each other and pass as close as nine hundred million miles every eighty years. And then there's a little tiny dwarf star that's called Proxima Centauri because it's a little bit closer to Earth. So there are three stars in that system, and the planet that they found is about the same mass as Earth. It uh, it orbits Alpha Centauri B. And uh, the problem is, though, uh, it's a, what is it, a three-day revolution? Yeah. Yeah. It's revolution, or it's year, is three days long because it's so close to Alpha Centauri B that the surface temperature is 1,200 degrees. So not a vacation spot. So, no. So so basically, it's like Arizona. (laughs) Um, Twins are still getting it adjusted to the three-day year. Actually, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like an MIB. But they're they're really excited. They use that uh, wobble nice. method. It took four years That's of observations. That's it. I was going to ask because there are two methods by which you you suss out these planets, right? One, it's the obscuring thing, where right? They, one is looking at variations in yeah. the brightness of the yeah. star, and then the second one is by the change in in the star's orbit. Yeah, yeah, and That's they use the wobble that, method. They use the wobble, uh, and it took them four years of observing the the wobble method too. And I guess it was the the smallest um, amount of change or difference that this Swedish team who discovered it had uh, ever. Detected. So that's like the real news item here is like being that they're getting better at detecting yeah. these things. Yeah, exactly. All I can think of is weeble people out in space, like. Uh, well, they use a spectrograph called uh, HARPS, an acronym, on a 140-inch diameter telescope um, in Chile wow, at the European Southern telescope. Observatory. Yeah, 
Um, that is a big door. <laughs> 450 distinct observations over four years. Um, I just, I thought this was really cool. I mean, maybe that, maybe that's the news for some people. For me, it's just really cool that there's a planet that's about the same mass as Earth that's kind of close. And they think that this is going to most certainly lead, and, and the advancing measurement, right? That this is all going to most certainly lead to the discovery of more planets. Um, See, I remember one of the, one of the, better big- similar. One of the biggest things to come out of this, like, obviously we think, oh my God, it's Earth-like, right? Like, there could be life on it and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of these we know they're not. Like, this one, obviously not. It is definitely not within a temperate zone, you know? That said, like, a lot of times the discoveries for these are really just as important, well, you know, very important, but are different along different lines. Like, like for example, new technology or being able to detect smaller ones. or. Yeah. Or like one that was really big, I think a while back, if I understand correctly, was that, um, you know, for a long time, they had always assumed that gas giants only formed in the outer solar system, in outer in the outer edges of a, of a system. And and some had even predicted that they had maybe begun as uh, as solid cord uh, planets and had had progressed into becoming gas giants over time. And this method kind of blew that out of the water because they detected if you think about it by the wobble method especially you can detect something and you know its position and its mass you don't know anything else about it like you can't see it necessarily right. you don't you don't know what it looks like or anything but they detected planets that based on their mass and their size you know because of the uh, when they can use both methods too you know they knew that it was a large object with a low mass so it's probably a gas giant and they were well within the area that was distinctly uh, in the past had been considered the line where you would only see rock rocky planets. Mm-hmm. So it kind of like this one, it's kind of like interesting how these things happen to me. I know I'm not saying this very well, but like you, you think about, oh, we find life. But, but instead they had this fairly significant piece of data about the way star systems form and planets form outside the uh, around a star. And it changed the way we think about that. And it just came from this particular method of looking that's at things. That's awesome. Galileo would be so proud. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah, it's true. That's true. I wish so, we could uh, just go, you know, time travel, bring him back, you know, just be able to bring him here. Now, see, that'd be a cool sci-fi story. If you could time travel um, and you can bring people in and out of time, but you could only do it for like one hour and then they would revert back to their timeline because the universe just couldn't manage it you know you know, you know what bill and like, ted plus yeah they would like <laughs> they would shimmer back you know and then but you could like you could bring galileo here but after an hour he'd, you know, revert. he'd you revert. Know, you know what worries me about that though you know how like in the course of even like 50 or 200 years we tend to like uh forget about the other attributes of people that make famous contributions to society yeah um i think about like that and I am scared to death that you'd bring one of these guys forward and you find out that he was a complete douchebag, except that he happened to be really smart and right in some very significant ways. I just assume ways. everybody's a douchebag. Douche well, sometimes they are. In important ways, you're right. But, but no, I mean, we've, we have a lot of his writings and a lot of things. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like you bring forward Plato and you 
then you only then you remember that he only speaks ancient Greek or something like that. Don't you're like, crap. No, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does anyone speak English? Ancient, or perhaps ancient Greek. Ancient Greek. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, besides well, who that, who cares I'm just, though? I mean, if he's a douchebag, you know what this reminds me of? Though you remember how we used to read Rolling Stone stuff, uh, uh, features on people until eventually right. you read one and you're like, damn it! You just want to stop. I just finding wish out, I didn't yeah. know that. You know, I mean, this guy was cool because of his music and all these expressive things, and then you find out, oh yeah, and he's a douchebag too. Whoops. You know, I'd, I'd rather not know. I think I just worry about that. I'm like, you know, it would be cool, but yeah. it might not. Bigger problems, well. Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the one that would avoid time travel because even though it could change the world, I'd avoid time travel because. <laughs> the guy might be a jerk, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he might. I'm telling you. How would you know? The guy's a dick, man. You don't want to go. What? You don't want to go back and meet dick. that dude. <laughs> I mean, think about the people that, that make huge contributions and are really cool in a lot of ways, but are also kind of dicks. <laughs> Vanderbilt? Total chode. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, yeah. J.P. Morgan? Awesome. I think Andrew, Car- well, Andrew Carnegie was a social Darwinist. Oh, yeah. You know, a guy who hel- has helped more people have access to libraries and all kinds of stuff. He himself, I don't probably, I don't think he was probably real nice to hang around. I don't think, yeah. See, I just assume everybody is is that way it's like ooh. that's because you're such an outgoing person Sean. it is it is i'm very i'm a social butterfly yeah. <laughs> social wasp <Yeah. laughs> B. piss off i don't want to talk yeah. to you <laughs> social hornet yeah. uh see speaking of uh people with social issues um have you guys heard about the uh nbc was going to redo uh the monsters here recently they were going to do an entire series like on... past tense wait, wait. they're not going to so well, this is the one time i can pronounce the word the way i like to pronounce yes it. the the central monsters. texas way yeah. go ahead they're monsters they're monsters monsters yeah because it's actually that's accurate. m-u-n-s-t-e-r-s i can say monsters but it just sounds weird no it doesn't it sounds normal that sounds weird. except for the exaggerated syllable but... yeah it's like often monsters yeah or yeah it's not monster it's not monsters. Well, it it's, is now. It's monsters. In this one, it is now. See? Huh? <laughs> huh? Oh, by the way, um, for uh, for GWC One, uh, recently I've been listening, and when Chuck and Sean, he says that I do it too, but when Chuck and Sean say the word one, the name one, it does sound like you're saying one, O-N-E. Exactly like that. Yeah, that's the Texas one. That's, that's you know, if you asked us to say something. It would probably be poor favor, too. <laughs> I didn't know you said monster. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's also, it's kind of kin to woof. <laughs> woof brand chili. <laughs> I still say woof brand chili is accurate. No, oh, I, I don't have a problem I'll go with, with him on that, because you better not get too far away from the can after eating that. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Which can? <laughs> either. 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 <laughs> From can to can, yeah. Wolf Brantley <laughs> has you covered. <laughs> destination to destination in less than 30 minutes. <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, yeah, they were doing a, uh, a review or a uh, uh, reimagining of the, reimagining. Mon- of the monsters. <laughs> and NBC saw the pilot for it and went, uh, no. So, but they they did like it enough that they turned. I was waiting was, for the Paul Ryan joke, like <laughs> Paul Ryan is Eddie Mustard. Yeah, with a peak on the. Oh the yeah, hair. he's got that like really yeah, prominent widow's peak. It's okay, that hair is is incredible. <laughs> uh, that's out there. If man. you're looking for a poignant social commentary or uh, political the commentary, P90X that's peak. not going to be. Do you see yeah. him in Saturday Night Live when he's like reaches over and wipes it off? <laughs> <laughs> he drew it on with a sharpie. <laughs> 
<laughs> like it came like halfway down his brow. <laughs> He's like wipes it off. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> they decided they didn't want to do uh, it as a series, so they took basically the first season and made it a movie, which is going to be airing on the twenty sixth of October. Called we got Lane. money in this. We got to get it back. What the hell are we going to? Called Mockingbird Lane. Uh, which is, of course, where they live at 1313 Mockingbird Lane. That's a horrible uh, name. Uh, anyway, it was done in the 50s. Everything's going to be horrible. No, Mockingbird Lane as a name for a road is a fine name. Mockingbird Lane as a name for a movie today is a horrible name. Why? Because because they're they're counting on people like my students' age and younger who are going to spend all their allowance to go to movies like this because that's who goes to movies like this. TV movie. It's a made-for-TV movie. Rant they're off. Counting, <laughs> they're counting Rant denied. <laughs> I could be out of line here. I mean, there are some professionals who listen that can tell us so, but I suspect that this was a case of we invested in this. Hey, we can stick it on the channel when we don't have something else to show, and they would be depending on people who have nothing better to watch to watch it instead of maybe flipping over and watching something else they don't care about. Yeah, and it's it's in time for Halloween and all that kind of stuff, so they're, they're going to be releasing that. But uh, Eddie Izzard, is playing Grandpa Monster. Okay. Oh, okay. Now I'll watch now it. Now I okay. want to watch it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I saw... Go ahead, he, finish that rant, Audrey. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm just like, it's gonna suck ball. Oh, it is? Or, oh, I'm, yeah. I, I love it. I'm gonna watch He's this. delightful. Uh, Such a nice boy. <laughs> yeah. uh, so there, that's gonna be on the uh, 1026. I saw the trailer for it. It looked pretty cool. There's a big controversy. Everything looks pretty the same, oh, except no. Herman. Oh, no. Remember, Herman used to look like Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. He looks like a dude now. What? He's just a dude, but he's he's got like all these like surgery things. He's like the things. Negus's major domo. No, he's he's got like his his head has been like removed and there's a big stitch mark all the way across his stuff. So I mean, he is a monster that's put together, but he's not green. He doesn't have bolts and his head doesn't have that aircraft carrier quality to it. So Huh. Uh, people that might be practical from a story perspective. You yeah, could, the audience like, take is, him in a modern place without it. Yeah, exactly. Everything else is the same. The Maryland chick and the uh, I think that's her name. Anyway, you know the blonde one that lived with him. Um, and then <laughs> I forgot it. Remember? Yeah, there's like the blonde chick that she's like the one normal person, except she doesn't perceive everything is messed up. Uh, and then oh, why did I just open that? Anyway, um, and then the the. Eddie is doesn't have the peak, and uh, yeah, I mean, Lily, man, party's over. Paul Ryan screwed it up for every. I'm just kidding. I'm yeah. kidding. He used to look like he had the <laughs> bat symbol on his head. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Uh, Lily looks, you know, hot and kind of emo. And then there's Eddie Izzard in a big like red nightgown back there. Who he's got the full beard and everything, and it just looks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, is, that's look, worth watching though. Look, look, he's, he's wearing a big ass like. Red nightgown looking thing, and he's got a big full beard on. You know, wow. Um, I it looks interesting enough. I'm gonna watch it. When you said full beard, I imagined like a Dumbledore beard. You know, not just <laughs> like, like a ZZ Top working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not just like his face is covered, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, it looked pretty cool. Uh, it's. I imagined him dressed like in, uh, you know, dress to kill the stand up. You know, he already comes out like in drag. <laughs> That's you know? awesome. That'd be a cool grandpa. Looking monster. fabulous, and uh, yeah, no, it's. And he could. I think cool Grandpa Munster was fabulous. Uh, I think it'd be. It would definitely be a switch to the show. But anyway, they didn't. I guess feel that this was series worthy. But they, like Chuck said, they probably had enough cash invested in it. They're like, well, we're gonna get our money out of it for Halloween anyway. So that's what we're gonna do. So it's coming out <laughs> anyway. Yeah, <laughs> so it's coming out ten twenty six. 
and uh, it's on NBC. Uh, so so check that out. So what normal programming is getting bumped for this? I have no idea. I, I'm I'm sure something worth worthwhile and and awesome and everything. And they're just like, look at Eddie Munster, you know. But hey. <laughs> really, it's got Eddie Izzard in it. We tried. Wasn't the Munsters just kind of a uh... Just like a knockoff of the Adams family. Oh wow, that is a debate and rage that has been going on because there are two di- distinct and definite thin, camps. You know um, like I grew up on the Munsters. I was not an Adams Family guy. Okay. Um, now, when they re- re-released Adams Family with uh, Christopher Lloyd and the and, movies, yeah, Angelica Houston and all, yeah, the yeah, movies, yeah, yeah. excellent. Oh yeah, the movies were excellent. Awesome. And I started getting into the Adams Family and all that kind of stuff, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there Wednesday, is definitely Wednesday's two camps. Wednesday's at that on age that. where you know there's only one thing on her mind: boys, homicide. <laughs> is that for your brother? <laughs> yes, I don't think so. She takes it, gives her a giant axe. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. She wants to be a homicidal maniac, but we told her college first. Chelsea <laughs> <laughs> uh, Houston was brilliant in that. Oh God, brilliant in everything. Uh, she's great. And Christina Ricci was born to play that part. Oh yes, Wednesday. Like normal people. Yeah. Uh, she was awesome in that. But I still remember that big giant staircase down the middle of the house that that splits great. up on either side, like the one coming down from the Titanic. You know. Yeah, and the dragon was underneath it. Oh, so cool. Flip up and stuff. Oh, and Grandma. Oh, See, now I knew so I remembered cool. something about that. What I, what I remember from the monsters, I never really liked the show. The monsters? Yeah. Was the Wait, card. He says it, he it, now he says it wrong. <laughs> what are you doing? Because screw you. No, this I'm is just your kidding. time, man. Was the car. Yes. Cause see, and I didn't. I never realized that it was kind of an Adams no, Family ripoff. Like the Adams Family had a, a car that was kind of cool, and then they went over the top with the. Yeah, the monsters car arrived like in mid like in the second season or whatever it was. I can't even remember. But there was this big episode where Lily wants to get Herman a car. And she likes like a 32-bucket Ford and this this other hearse thing. And yeah, it's she, like an extended tea bucket. Yeah, it's an extended goth tea bucket. And she she goes to the car dealership. And she's like, take that one and put half with this one and half with that one. You know, like you could do that at a car dealership. You I know, like you had enough money. Like it's a buffet and a la carte menu. I don't know. If you walked in with half a mil... Now? Yeah, probably. And said, look, here's half a mil. See this? Give me a hearse vet. You know, they'd, they'd be like, it. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not <laughs> a problem. I mean, I would. I'd be yeah. like, if you sold me that, I'd be like, all right. All right. We'll make it go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, they, they built the car and, and it was that and um, and the blonde chick that lived with them are probably the, the most iconic things that I remember about that show, you know, because it was always very weird to me. I'm like, oh, Marilyn Munster. It says, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Marilyn was, was weird cause you really expect her to be flipped out by all this. And she's like su- supremely normal, but nothing phases her. Isn't, isn't that weird? There was sort of this formula far beyond the two of them. I had never thought about this. I mean, it's stupid. I'm sure other people have, but like you had the family show where it was a family with some odd tint to it, you know, odd mm-hmm. bent to it. And they always had to have a car, a cool vehicle, right? Sometimes they would have a house that was... Strange and unusual, unusual for yeah. them, right? And and then you had this kind of standard series of plots. I mean, if you think about it, 
I mean, this applies to almost everything from the Bradys to, you know, to the monkeys, right? <laughs> okay. All right. So the everything the, the Munsters car was uh, built by a guy named George Barris, B-A-R-R-I-S, and he built two for the Munsters show. Uh, they called it the Munster Coach, K-O-A-C-H. It was a hot rod built on a lengthened uh, Model T, 1926 Model T chassis like said, with a custom hearse body. <laughs> it was 18 feet long. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, they um, Barris built another one, a dragster called the Dragula, that was built from an actual coffin um, that apparently Grandpa used to win back the Munster coach so in a race. So a child Rob Zombie went, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Nice. But yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that was the formula. You, like, had to have all that. Like, if you had a group, they had to have a car. I mean, you know, the, and, and not necessarily a car, but a vehicle. Like, uh, I mean. Batman, the Green Hornet. <laughs> Yeah, or, or, or but but all the family ones too. Like I mean, the Partridges had the bus, you know. I love that bus. I mean, there's always Actually, screw that. I love Mrs. Partridge. That was so. Was the bus like a ripoff of that? Who's that painter that does the squares? You know, the modern they're the colored squares. Oh, Rothko. Um, you know what I'm talking about, yeah, right? Yeah, I know. What you're so was about. the bus like a ripoff of that? Was that I was no time idea. wise? I mean, you guys are the art people. Yeah, I don't. I'm out here. Yeah, I, but I'm not big. On, I, I just I was, realized that I, I was just four. put that together. Yeah, I, the I bus had those colors painted on it yeah. like that. It looks just like one of those. It does, but I I don't know. <laughs> or was the painter inspired by? Painter's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you dude. Know what, <laughs> you know what's weird is that the Adams family and the Munsters were on at exactly the same time. Yeah. They both began in September 1964, and the Munsters went to May 1966, and the Adams Family ended in April 1966. So a few weeks difference. I mean, they had a so two-year there, there was a, Yeah, there wasn't a one copied the other. It was just a, you know, they were competitive. Thing. And they're it's still like that way now. Deep impact, right? Yeah. yeah the, I mean, the Adams. Oh, I didn't know the guy who created it was Charles Adams with two Ds. That's funny. Um, but it was on, the Adams Family was on ABC and the Munsters was on CBS. And, and the Munsters had slightly higher ratings, I guess. Nielsen ratings. This is the car. Works for me. Car's way cooler. Yeah. I like the Adams. I'm a little bit more of an Adams Family fan. But really? Yeah. I am now. Because of the movies or because... I am now because of the movies. Probably so, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I, I watched the Munsters on TV, not the Addams Family. But I did too. I, I was that way. I was very pro Adams Family after the movies because Angelica Houston was awesome and so was Christina Ricci. Um, and Uncle Fester is... Christopher Laura's Uncle Fester. Yeah. It was just classic. Um, let's see here. Oh, uh, there, there's more RoboCop leakage. Uh-oh. Um <laughs> So is that Gross. Are you saying there's another part of him that is apparently still biological? Uh no, no, this time it's his ride. Uh this time they they've popped a uh He has a fold out ass and a bite comes out <laughs> yeah, of it. It's real close. Um they they pictured his his ride which is uh this police this stealth looking police motorcycle that is basically a a sport drag bike. Yeah. with a bunch of crap glued on it. But it looks kind of cool. You know, they always look slightly less cool before they get the film treatment. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, like, the shots of, of Trek from that, like, the the uh, 20, you know, the Trek 11, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Uh, 2009 Trek, right? Um, if you if you look at the shots from the production, you know, the pre-production shots where you can see them without the, 
without the grading and the other things you get to give it the look of the movie. They never look right. They always look a little plasticky and a little cheesy. And then when you see it on, especially superhero movies, yeah, they look really cheesy when you see the shots of of because they're working else everything everything else in the frame anyway. They might as well just do the the right stuff when they get into post. And I right. know that's how they're doing because the entire right, shot's right, going right. to get multiple filters. So, so you might come as well on, just build you know? it. Uh, but so, yeah, I, mean, I can see that. You know, but, I bet uh, it looks cool on screen. I, I bet it will. Yeah. Um, I mean, but as much, uh, I guess as much leakage as you're seeing with the, <laughs> the RoboCop stuff, uh, it's, I don't detect any leak. Uh, it's, they're really trying really hard to get people interested in this. And I'm, because before they started pushing out the, these, these photos and everything, that makes me less interested when I feel like they're shoving it down my throat yeah. all the time. I don't know. I, I'm. There's a lot of people worried that they just don't have what this movie is. <laughs> Chuck, <laughs> Shut Chuck up. tried to hold it down, but he just couldn't manage. He's like, Whoa. wow. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. There's there's some worry that there's really not a whole lot here. It's going to be mostly effects or, or something like that, and they're going to dilute the story. I don't know. I'm willing to see it. Well, that's regardless. the problem. I mean, it's like in a dating service. You know, if there was a guy who was trying to um, was trying too hard promote himself, you know, on a dating site or whatever. I'm totally like, awesome. Oh, really? No, I'm super awesome, and you can totally trust me, and I'm a really good guy, and I promise I'll be the best boyfriend in the world. And, and you know, every week these constant like. messages, you know, <laughs> b- before the big, you know, the date or whatever. Step into a slip gym. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Literally. Yeah, it might be a little bit. You're like tired that. of him before it even happens. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard everything you have to say. Just go away. <laughs> the bike looks all right. I, I mean, yeah. I know. I think it could look cool. It's, I thought he was going to drive a Taurus, though. I was really looking forward to man, him driving a Taurus six thousand or whatever it was. Um, yeah, I. <laughs> They well, literally no, called it that. It was like the sucks. It was the SUX, whatever. Yeah. And, and you're like, really? It, it was all tongue in cheek <laughs> anyway, but I'm not even kidding about that part. That's stanza. what it was going Stanza. Blue <laughs> <laughs> um, What do you drive up? His blue Nissan Stanza. Same old crappy blue Chevy Nova. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was kind of entertaining. Um, also, we have Trek news uh, this week. The uh, the Trekkies broke the the world record uh, for uh, captains appearing at a con because apparently five of them showed up to this con in London. Uh, see, there was that is uh, awesome. Yeah, that would have been some con. An estimated uh, one thousand eighty three costume clad Trekkies assembled in the event at London's Excel Center, narrowly beating the previous record of one thousand forty characters, uh, which was set at the bigger uh, annual Star Trek convention in Las Vegas. Uh, the achievement will officially be verified by the Guinness Book of World Records within a few days. Uh, but they, they have assured that they've topped records, but it also beats another record. <laughs> They'll be in the book between that guy with like the three foot long fingernails and that woman with the 12 inch waist. <laughs> Here's Trek lore, you know, but apparently uh, it saw all five captains from the TV uh, series appear on the stage together for the first time. So Kirk, Picard, Cisco, Janeway and Archer. All there at one time. Which That's pretty awesome. Has never happened in the history of Trek. Yeah, mainly because because Shatner didn't do Trek conventions. Yeah, right. 
Well, it was difficult to get all of them there at the same time as far as, you know, like normally you'd have like two or three, but this is the first one with five. You know, I, I heard an interesting comment from uh, from a guy we know a couple of days, uh, yesterday actually, that I think kind of might apply to all of this. I wonder if the mainstreaming of geek culture, you know, is bringing enough money in at these conventions now. The conventions are able to step up some of the things they can do. Mm. I think yeah, that like might, there's one going on this weekend in town, and, and Patrick Stewart is there. Yeah, it's grown quite a bit. It went yeah. from kind of like you'd have one person you sort of heard of, like the big draw would be like uh, the guy who wore one of the suits in Tron mm-hmm. in the background, and now it's like Patrick Stewart and uh, yeah, most Summer of the Glow, Firefly Stanley. Firefly cast and yeah. piles of cash. Well, and and their the attendance is growing significantly because they moved down to Irving to a bigger a bigger convention center There's and a, everything. Well, it used to be at the convention center, but the convention center they built a new convention center, so I don't yeah, think they bottom moved line there. is it's larger. Like more people yeah. are coming and there's more cash in it. And I wonder if that's happening, if that's happening Instead here. Instead of being at like a little hotel, you know. I wonder if that's happening everywhere. Like like these bigger conventions, medium-sized conventions are getting larger. You know? You're like, I don't yeah, care. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> like maybe, yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I guess I, the, I, I've had a lot of disappointments at the local cons. You know, sometimes they're cool, but um, I tend to enjoy going to hang out with friends and check out the dealer room but in the past it's been just the guests were not um as high like as highly on my interest scale you know and now that they are it's just so hard to get in you know like it's kind of like it's one extreme or the other i mean patrick stewart's there but you have to wait in line like four hours and and then you're only going to get a brief thing i don't want to wade through these young people I think that the opportunities, and I think the local conventions are still kind of figuring this out, but like Phoenix Comic Con was a great example of how this can work, I think. Like, yeah. like you had big guests there, right? And obviously you could buy these very expensive packages to go and, and see those big guests and stuff and get your picture with them and stuff. And that doesn't do it as much for me. But what they did do was make panels from them. Yes. Now, if and, they had panels where I could hear them talk, that would be awesome. Right. And because those those are still, they're big conventions, but not huge. You can get into the panels for the most part. I mean, you might have to show up an, an, an hour early or something or 30 minutes early, but it was not hard to get into them. And that I think would be cool. And I think the local conventions will probably end up going that way because they're already starting to. Like you remember last year when we went by one of the local ones that had uh, that had uh, um, Katie Sackoff and, and um, oh, help me here. Oh, no, that was a couple years ago when they did the women in sci-fi. Right. Yeah, it was Katie Sackhoff, Trisha Helfer, Nichelle Nichols. Right. And, and that was cool because they had panels. Right, they did panels go, with yeah. them. And the panels were reasonably easy to get into. And it made it a total draw. Like, even if you weren't going to buy the $500 package, you could show up and, and check that panel out. And I enjoyed that panel. Yeah, that was me really too. Cool. Yeah, and, and in the past, what they've done locally is they've had them come in and just kind of do autographs and nothing else. I think they're actually doing panels with them now, but cool. you have to kind of dig in and figure yeah. it out and... And we should probably do that. Cool. So I have one kind of funny one that I'll throw in here in this moment uh, where it seems to fit. I, I saw this on. Uh, That's what she said. Is there, <laughs> I was just wondering, is there any other way you Miss could possibly. Miss ram it down my throat. You just go ahead and make fun of me, okay? <laughs> no, I was going to make fun of you for delaying Miss what you're going to say. You're Leak. like, you're like um, purred happily, you know, and this 
lead story is the most important story of the night, which I will now tell you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, apparently, I blew the con- the speaking of transition, which seems to be the standard. Um, well, now you're picking yourself. on me? What the fuck? You're in the line of shot. You're just in the you're line, the of, line of Sean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. You're in the line of fire here. Wow. What's well, that guy doing no. over there? Uh, he's doing a line of Sean. He'll he's be doing a line of Sean. He'll be fine. with us later. <laughs> well, now that you've read this up. to go. calm down the yeah. line of Sean. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what, that's what they do. <laughs> <laughs> I have another podcast for that. <laughs> now, now that we've built this story out, go ahead and what tell us. What was that Chuck? gesture? That was me digging that a was hole. Digging oh, a hole. I, thought, I thought that was like fire hosing. I was like, gross. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be that big. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Nobody oh. You're loving them back over here, sir. <laughs> All righty then. Now that we have that intro, tell us your new story, Chuck. Actually, it's pretty appropriate. This is a pretty good intro See, for there it. you go. It is. So, uh, obviously, all this of you have heard Sarah story, Silver, heard Sarah Silverman, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, besides the fact that in one of my classes, this was great. Sarah, so we were watching a, a video, a Sarah Silverman video, which if, if you haven't, well, anyway, just Google them. Her her political video is awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Anyway, if but but she uh, we were watching it and and in the class they were like you know uh, can you explain why the what what source factor she's using with this it was a persuasion class and uh, somebody was like well you know she's kind of young like us and I'm like actually she's my age <laughs> and and I don't know for anybody who doesn't she is exactly she was born like the same month and year I was so I found that humorous anyway Sarah Silverman all these great videos all this great stuff obviously kind of a controversial person I mean she is a comedian she does make her living being controversial in an entertaining way right um, well her father recently, like, uh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember where it happened, right? Okay, so she put out this this video called Let My People Vote, and it's this profanity-laden, like, really funny video with a serious message about the importance of voting, but, um, but it's a hardcore political message with a you know, about 50 F-bombs in it, and it's really funny. You and know, it involves Sarah her, Silverman. And it involves her nana. And this rabbi wrote an open letter to her basically saying, I feel sorry for you that you have to talk that way to gain attention. And, you know, I hope that you will uh, be blessed with, you know, the ability to calm down and get married. And, and if, if God willing, you know, have lots of kids. Wow. And In uh, other words, <laughs> shut up and go back to the kitchen. Right. And so her dad posts a, uh, an open response. <laughs> and, and if you ever wondered where Sarah Silverman gets <laughs> she does apparently from her father okay yeah her, her dad's <laughs> her he, father's response is essentially like look one of my daughters is a rabbi you know with the part of the church that doesn't think the women should shut up and be in the kitchen and uh by the way and he named off like some of his other family members that are prominent and in the jewish community and stuff and in the essentially faith. supported uh supported his daughter and uh you know in a very uh Sarah Silverman style way, apparently a very family style way. And uh, I just was fascinated to know that because I'm a big fan of hers. Right. And I just am fascinated to know that uh, you can see where she gets it now. And I wasn't necessarily a fan of her father because I didn't know him at all. Still don't. But this I'm a fan. Yeah. 
I mean, number one, stand up for your daughter. That's awesome. Okay. You know, it's family. And, and he made that very clear. It was just hilarious because it was so crude. And so like, I don't care what anyone thinks about this. It wasn't like one of those well-written things that, you know, everyone's going to pick it apart. You should really leave my daughter alone. No, this was no like, it was just like, you, you could tell he, the heat. you could tell he just dashed it off and was like, screw you. <laughs> it was great. It was, it was cool. I'm yeah, a fan. Runs of the family. Yeah. That's a good thing. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. See, I wish I could have that instead of my family's tradition, which is heated board games. You know, I mean, it's one seems more marketable than the other. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, that would make it with with YouTube these days. That'd make a great TV show. I would <laughs> yeah, watch that. That's just what we need. My family on family game night. That would be great. Oh, like the, great. The, the, there are more fist fights and brawls. Full grown men yelling about Yahtzee. Come on. Awesome. Instead of I'm tabletop, you. you call it like tabletop brawl. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tabletop show. I'll call it under the table. Yeah. <laughs> tabletop you know? cage match. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, you can put a fence around the table. It was. I mean, look at look at all the excitement when like Ann Wheaton bumped the board on the game. You know, put put Sean on a motorcycle on one of those steel wheels, those spherical cages. <laughs> We're all playing Monopoly. <laughs> His dad Five likes the wheels on fire. And- <laughs> None leave. <laughs> oh, that's how our family is. If I go down, I'm taking you with me. <laughs> what moist orifice will the Monopoly money be hiding in this weekend? <laughs> Yeah. Seriously, I mean, it would be great with the the rule changes, the uh, the negotiations, the the I, I'm going to win or everybody's going to die. <laughs> the distractions, <laughs> the cheating. Oh, yeah. oh man, the insults. <laughs> yeah, this is experience to play board games at my house, man. Chuck was unprepared the first time. Pawn like, Stars has nothing on this. <laughs> I mean, seriously, this would be like all over it. Yeah, the the fights, the storm outs, the throwing pieces. I mean, be great. We haven't had. We I would watch that. That'd show. be seriously good reality. Show. See yeah. what I'm saying? We hadn't had one where somebody didn't like wedge a game piece in another person's forehead <laughs> in years. We it's, it's not an O'Hara family uh, game, you know, board game outing unless one person ends up injured, another ends up weeping, <laughs> and a third doesn't yes. speak to anyone else in the family for a year. <laughs> it's pretty much <laughs> all about the weeping. Yeah. <laughs> no it's weeping, but like... Uh, uh, I don't know, if you were the injured person and it was hard... A little bit of hard feelings, uh, a trip to the hospital, and maybe some... Uh, or a need for one. That has happened, yes. I mean... <laughs> that has happened almost every year. It reminds me of Home Improvement, you know? It's like, he's going out to the garage, fire up the car. <laughs> exactly. Call, call you the- gotta be the horse. You want the horse? Here's the horse. <laughs> How'd you get the horse in there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Call the nurses station in the hospital. They, they, it's bomb- on speed dial. It's like yeah, they have the box, like in Scrubs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the ass box. Yeah. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> there was no pin in the Austin There's no There was a pin box. in the ass box. <laughs> 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 what? <laughs> the ass box. Yeah. <laughs> A little while back, as, as the Halloween decorations started to come up, have you noticed, by the way, that Halloween decorations, unlike Christmas decorations, do not start early? No, like they the, do not. They go up like a week before, two weeks before, if it's really large. Like there's a there's a house on the route that Audra and I run on in the morning that is like, it's cool. But they've got like an entire cemetery built in their front yard and everything. Wow. Yeah, it's cool. It's like people do for Christmas, you know? I carved a Mickey pumpkin. That was about as far as I went. <laughs> exactly, <you know>? yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. But like, no, seriously, they uh, they go up two weeks before. They come down day after, you know, and then the then the Christmas decorations go up, right? 
Well, uh, we saw we were we were you know we were watching these things, and we had this kind of interesting discussion start around it, though, where we were wondering about why you know these macabre images have gotten have managed to get integrated into culture the way they do, right? I mean, normally we're like concerned with kids seeing a certain amount of violence and then a dancing skeleton is completely cool you know and and i'm not saying that's wrong i'm saying it's interesting you know we really wondered how that happens i think the initial question was um what is the at the kind of primal level what's the appeal of zombies you know like what what is it about zombies that so many people across different cultures and stuff you know seem to really enjoy and i i think that you know, it's fair to point out that zombies also have an aspect of humor with them. And I think that that's important because zombies are supposed to be scary, but they're also so supposed to be funny or, or kind of capable of being funny. Would you agree? I'm not a zombie expert, but... Well, it depends on the context. But yes, zombies are often portrayed as as scary, but... There's kind of a camp. Amusing, yeah. I mean, it's the same kind of thing, like uh, if you've ever seen that uh, the old film school training and everything, and they tell you music can make a difference. You know, they, they show you the picture of the crocodile coming out of the water with scary music, and you're like, Ugh. and the crocodile coming over with like wonky clown music and everything, and you're like, right. yeah, I see the crocodile. <laughs> uh, it's the same kind of thing with zombies. It depends like on the how they're- turning around? Yeah. <laughs> and looking at <laughs> you, right? Squirrel. Dramatic squirrel. squirrel. Yeah. You know, uh, it's that same kind of thing with zombies. I think how, how they're- portrayed is can be very easily flipped uh from serious to like in um uh, pirates of the caribbean kind of campy you know uh walking dead scary right not yeah very <laughs> not, not campy yeah not campy well, i almost think that the culture around it is more campy than the material always is like a lot of times right. in in uh what we consider to be campy like uh, campy zombie flicks, they're not really. They're they're meant to be. They're kind of serious ish, but but considered by a campy audience. You know, or an like audience if, if that you look sees at, them as. If you look at one of the most mainstream portrayals of zombies ever, it was the thriller video that Michael Jackson did. It's a fourteen minute long video. John Landis produced it. Stan Baker incidentally did all the makeup. Mm-hmm. And it for kids, I think it was scary. But for adults, it was supposed to be kind of enjoyable scary we actually learned to do that dance in music class we had to that's kind of cool our production of you know like our our seasonal musical you can't call them any kind of thing anymore but back then it was the Halloween play right and uh we had to she showed us and then we had to start okay who can dance you know and everybody's like oh, i ain't doing that you know okay and then all of you dance now it's crap freaking zombies can do it oh, you can do it you can do it so we had to learn how to do most of that stuff and it, you know, I mean, it's a bunch of third graders, you know, falling down and wandering around. But we, we did it. But it was this whole kind of that. That one was both scary and campy. You know, scary up front, and then it is very difficult to look at a bunch of of dancing, shuffling zombies. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And They're think, dancing, and hey, it's kind of like it's yeah, dancing zombies, <laughs> silly zombies. It was interesting, though, because we were trying to figure out, you know, it wasn't one of those things like, how could someone possibly enjoy this like that? It was more, no, it's like, it was more like a lot of people enjoy so it. And, and what is it about? I mean, because normally death is something that people, especially I think in our like general like U.S. culture, don't want to talk about. You know, we want to avoid talking about it as much as possible. Um, but yet I think that there's 
kind of a constant need to address it anyway. Because like mentally, it's such a huge part of being a human. Mm -hmm. And that if you don't talk about it, then you have to find other ways to kind of deal with it, with the questions that you have about it and the fears that we have about it. So I think that that's why the art a lot of times is going to reflect that. We need some kind of outlet so that we can address it. You know, if it's not appropriate, I mean, if, if you look at, obviously a funeral in New Orleans is going to be a little bit different, you know, and funerals in different parts of the U.S. are going to be different. But general kind of the the mainstream average funeral procession, you know, is designed to be a very certain kind of thing, you know. And people who get really highly, like, distraught and emotional, like in ancient cultures, it was this common thing to, you know, beat your breast loudly and wail and scream and cry for, like, 24 hours straight and then never speak of it again. Or or some cultures had a thing where they would mourn. They would wear black and mourn and, and be in mourning every day for, like, a year. And then after that, it was to never be brought up again. Yeah, but there was some like of them a have like the the thing too, where it was uh, your father would decide, or or some close relative would decide when you should not be in mourning anymore. Oh, I don't, I wasn't aware of that. I but where somebody thought that, sure, I'm sure, yeah. But if you look at the U.S. tradition, there's this thing where, you know, we have all these different ideas where you know, okay, so we accept that there are these stages of grieving. And there are supposed to be these things that people do, and they say that you should talk about it, but nobody wants to, and nobody knows what to say, and it's filled with awkwardness and, and uncomfortable feelings all the way around, and nobody knows how to deal with it ever. And I think that that's kind of a common, I think that's sort of normal, like normal meaning it happens the most, right? So I, I can't help but wonder if maybe the zombie thing is one way that we can use art to address the fascination that we have with things like the idea of the idea of somebody reanimating after dying is something that is, I think fascinated people ever since humans have been around and whether it's through religious concepts, you know, or whether it's through being afraid of it. Um, I, I think it's absolutely normal for human beings to wonder what's on the other side. Right. And it's part of what makes us human is that we ask those questions. Sweet zombie Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, you, you laugh, but a couple of things. One uh, tangential to this was the, the most recent Red Dwarf episode involved them time traveling to a point where they uh, classic red dwarf they they time travel back and don't have batteries for the remote control for the time travel thing so they travel across the world to get lemons to make a battery for the nice it's it's, it's they funny. don't have potatoes <laughs> accessible so seriously but the funny thing the best part of it though is that they have a run in with jesus right this is something that you got to understand. I know a lot of a lot of our listeners are not in the U.S. and and outside in in a lot of other countries. You could do that, I guess. Here, I mean, that would never ever show on TV ever. It would never make it. And uh, it's fascinating the difference in culture around that. It right? would be it would be considered too offensive to Christianity to show something like that. I think in the yeah. U.S. right in, in the mean, U.S. eighty percent of the population is reported to be Christian. Right. The other uh, kind of interesting thing being like you made the zombie Jesus joke that was for those who don't know I mean most I think a lot of people do know this but if you're listening and you don't uh, there was originally in Futurama they made uh, you know that was one of the professors kind of little 
funny things he said and and they actually cut it out for for broadcast in the u.s yeah it never aired they've it, put they're it back on the dvds in but, since yeah the yeah. comedy channel now if you watch them the old does ones, do it in fact they, they did it right, in like right. one of the early episodes of the new ones they were like we can do it now but that's a pretty mild thing to say i mean that, yeah but but my point being that I think it keeps us in a lot of ways from looking at, at these traditions, you know, back to, to loop back into what we're talking about. Where this kind of came from was like I had asked Audra while we were jogging, we were looking at this and I'm like, where is this fascinate? Where does the fascination with the macabre come from and, and tied to Halloween specifically? Because I know these things. I know enough already to know that these things don't spring out of nowhere. Uh, these are bits of culture that get integrated in socially and passed on in modified telephone game style for, you know, a thousand years until you end up with these these traditions that just seem like they've always been that way, but they have a source, you know? And Andre had some interesting ideas about it. I mean, we were talking about Day of the Dead. Yeah, okay, so you guys are familiar with um, the Day of the Dead, and at least in Hispanic Latino culture, it's... Um, you know, Day of the Dead is October 31st, and then November 1st, the next day, is um, like All Souls Day or All Saints Day, just depending. And depends on the culture. Some people don't have Halloween. They just have the November 1st. You know, it just kind of it depends. But the November 1st day is supposed to be like a memorial day that's very highly personalized to your family and friends. And people will get together and um, like in Latin American culture, especially, you know, you'll have these kind of little shrines that they build in the house and they'll have like a picture of the person who they lost in their family, maybe, you know, grandparent or something and candles around, usually part of a Catholic tradition to do that. Um, but they'll get like the food that that person liked and that person's favorite beer and, and do that person's favorite activities and have kind of a party in remembrance of that. So it's this kind of, um, it's a lot more open, a lot more kind of upfront way of dealing with the loss of someone. Um, Cause I think that outside of that culture that like when you get into that kind of U S mainstream culture, which I guess is a Protestant, you know, kind of heavy Protestant influence. It just, you don't talk about it that way. You know, if you bring up the name of somebody who you really miss, who's, you know, been dear to the people in the room, it rarely tends to be this big thing where we're all going to get together and talk about it openly as one. It tends to be like an intimate moment. Compartmentalized. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like we're going to share this, but it's going to be a private conversation. We can go off know? the two of us and have a beer or two. And under the, you know, under the release of being slightly tipsy, we can talk honestly about it briefly, but we're not going to sit around in the living room and do it. It's almost like there's something inappropriate about openly discussing it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that propriety comes from the religious influence or tradition or if it's more of a thing like we're just really scared of it and we don't know what to say but there are other cultures that are a lot more open about it well i know um china at least used to i don't know about their current you know set points and climate and everything but what they used to do at least in a lot of cases was the when they had a family member or something like that that died they would become they would take their place amongst the ancestors of the family and be recognized in a shrine there uh, sometimes it was down the road. Sometimes it was actually on the property and they would celebrate them being a part of the ancestors. And those people were the closest thing I could come up to, although this is not quite right. is like sainted for the family that, you know, they were looking out for you and you know, you could, you could be cool with them still being there just in a different Very capacity. Klingon. 
Yeah, it's a lot like that actually. Um, and it was it was cool. And they had spirit guardians that would act as intermediaries between the ancestors who were trying to help you out and you and and all that stuff. So I mean, there were all kinds of cool stuff with that. Um, the uh, there seems to be a lot of history of that, especially like in uh, you know the Asia area and uh, that kind of deal. They all have kind of a thing like that here. Not so much, man. Well, except Halloween, you know, and yeah, this—that's pretty much the only one. And that was it. I think if the one thing I took away definitely from our our talk, Audra, was that you know, death is definitely the one thing that, like, we can manage to re, you know, bend things or to twist them in our minds to make them work out in a lot of cases. But death is that one thing that just everybody has to deal with it, without exception, and it is absolutely permanent and there is nothing yeah, completely unchangeable yeah there's nothing you can do about that it's the one yeah. thing we're all forced to deal with we and share it i think an analogy that is not perfect but i think it's kind of like sex where it's one of those things that everybody it, it's it's relevant in some way to everyone if you're a human it's relevant to you in some way right and Everybody has ideas and questions about it and everybody has, you know, some interest in it and some kind of, you know, thing to deal with. But yet there are all these social kind of restrictions where it it really controls in what ways you can talk about it. And I think death even more so. Like even on in May, we have a day called Memorial Day. And I'm curious as to how you guys have ever spent Memorial Day, but for me, it was always a very um, national kind of thing. Like it tended to be focused on um, thinking about people who died in wars and and veterans. And when I was in high school marching band, we'd march down to the cemetery and stand for hours, you know, and play taps and things and then do a a concert. Um, Never, ever in my life have I spent a Memorial Day openly discussing somebody that I miss, somebody that I lost you know, that was personal. It was more of a, like a federal kind of recognition, hmm. very somber day for me. What about you guys? Uh, in my house, it was, uh, I guess a little different than that. Uh, normally, uh, it was one of the few days my dad had off and he would, uh, uh, and be in town and stuff like that. And he would fire up the grill and then talk about people who never came back from Vietnam, who, well, of course he was in Vietnam and everything. He's like, you know, I remember this one guy who only tell you good stories about him, you know? But he would remember that during, you know, when we were out there cooking with him, we have like four or five hot dogs and then we'd light the grill because we'd been out there too long. And, uh, you know, he would tell you about the cool stuff they did and, and what this dude used to do and, and all that kind of thing and tell you about people that he knew who didn't come back. And then uh, we'd have a good dinner and have a family board game brawl and that would be Memorial Day. You know, it's pretty much what we do on holidays, except for this one, it would be, you know, people my dad missed. You know, That's kind of cool. Yeah. It was kind of therapeutic for him, I think. He yeah. still does it. You know, we still go, I still go over there on Memorial Day a lot of times and, and he'll rap about that. The stories got different as you you know, as we were old enough to deal with it, you know, and uh but it was always pretty cool and we still do it. I don't think we had anything like that as a family. I didn't I don't remember doing what the brawls or the communication back and forth. <laughs> either that's good i'm just saying either uh, i think there's a lot to be said for expressing that stuff at the moment but um but still no i mean I, w- there's nothing to that I, it's very much in a lot of cases just a very repressed thing like we don't 
We don't deal with that stuff. We keep it internal. And, and I think that the idea of Halloween being maybe our kind of odd interpretation, our particular cultural interpretation of making the, the making death friendly, you know, making it, uh, dressing it up in a way and looking at it since we can't look at square, look at it square on, let's make it cute. You know, it's still looking at it a little bit, right? Even if, if maybe that side of Halloween, that, that cutesy side of it. Right. Yeah. Or again, zombies or, or, or that kind of thing, a fascination with, with horror, you know, the idea being that you're kind of interpreting that stuff in a way that's not as threatening as the real thing. And I, yeah, it's so interesting because horror has always really deeply disturbed me, like horror media, books and movies and stuff. And I think that, um, I think that probably there's just a range of healthy to unhealthy, just like with anything else. I think that it's very, very common and, and possible to have a healthy interest in horror in terms of like horror is something that all humans probably feel at some point in their life, you know, and it's really hard to deal with. So I could see there being a fascination with wanting to know how to deal with it, you know. Now, people who watch horror like excessively and, and have like an unhealthy interest in the gore, that that disturbs me now. But um it's but sort I, of tough I don't, because I don't think it's, there's very, anything wrong with liking. I've known a lot of people that were very reasonable people, and I certainly wasn't concerned about them. I'm, you know, but but yet, uh, I don't know. I never did fully understand that either myself. I, I've never been a fan, so I haven't been able to do that. But virtually everyone I've ever met who really enjoyed horror, I think, enjoyed it in a, a healthy way. You know. Yeah, I mean, my niece is super into uh, uh, horror and and that kind of thing, and she is. Um, she's an artist, uh, different than me, but she's an artist and, uh, she's into like special effects and, and all that kind of stuff. And she's always been fascinated by horror movies and the effects that you have and the way to make things look real and, and all that stuff. And she actually just graduated, got a job as a special effects artist who makes those costumes. She's really has always been into the, the werewolf style furry things and how to make slash gore marks and blood and everything look right and it's always been fascinating i mean to to her watching a a like a, a you know slasher movie or, or something like that is like me watching the matrix and taking it apart i mean she just has a fascination with how to make this scary you know something scare you and look real and i think everybody takes a different take on it but the the whole thing and i asked her once i'm like doesn't this scare the crap out of you she goes no i know if i you know, I know it's fake. Like what? So is there anything you can watch that does scare you? She's like, yeah, stuff like, um, uh, like the, the thriller kind that are, are, you know, werewolves jump out and slash people up, don't bother. But stuff like human centipede does. Cause she's like, look, they're powerless. You know, this is just happening to them and they're awake the whole time. And it's just horrible. Um, that kind of stuff scared them. Cause it was different, but gore. She's like, no, gore doesn't. See, I think that's a really important uh, point. You know, for me anyway, the, the power, I think, is what makes it appealing is, okay, so take a guy like Edgar Allan Poe, right? And and Poe's famous for writing all these stories about death and, and yeah. morbid situations. He'll just mind jack you. Yeah. And, and why, what made him choose to write about that stuff, you know? It, it can't be a coincidence that he lost a lot of people in his family from the time he was really young. You know, his... Uh, his mom died when he was like three and then he wasn't able to live with his dad and he ended up being adopted by a family, um, you know, by a guy named John Allen. And then 
you know, and then he uh, had a, a romance with um, this very young girl. I mean, she was like 13. He was in his 20s. And it was his uh, statutory now. Uh huh. Yeah, Virginia. She was like um, 13 years old. She was his first cousin, um, also his lover. I think they were married, but but she died after like a year of them being together. So he had lost like everyone important to him. He had lost, and then he writes all these stories that over and over have these young beautiful women who die, and you see the the same pattern. So I think, you know, I'm I'm speculating a lot, but I think it makes sense that all right. So here's this thing that we have, we feel very little control over. And what's scarier? The the most scary thing in the world is the unknown, right? Um, we're scared of the dark when we're kids because we don't know what's in the dark. We're scared of the dark forest, like Goldilocks or, or Harry Potter in the Forbidden Forest or, or Robin Hood. You know, they, they run and escape into the forest because people are afraid of the spirits that live in there because it's dark and you can't see. And whether it's you know, uh, spiritual darkness or, or physical darkness, we fear the unknown. What is more unknown than death? No person has ever been able to, I mean, unless you I mean, want I to go to back to Jesus, but to no person has ever been able to, to prove, you know, nice. what it's like. So it's the greatest unknown that there is. So obviously we have a fear of it. And if a guy like Poe can feel some control over it, if he can feel like he can deal with it and have some control over it by writing stories or look at other Gothic type writers like Flannery O'Connor, you know, Good wrote example. these grotesque stories that had a lot of death in them. She was dying of lupus. It had to have been on her mind. Emily Dickinson dying of Bright's disease. It had to have been on her mind, you know, and every time you look at these people who are most well known for writing about death, a lot of times I think they were trying to gain some control over the concept. And I think that even if a person isn't facing it personally or intimately, it still affects everybody. And I think it gives us kind of a, a sense of relief to be able to say, I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm going to dress up as a monster and I'm going to show that I can be the monster for a night and have fun and, and be in control of that. And that it's not real or that if it is real, I'm, I'm playing it out like I'm I'm acting out me handling something that's really scary. You know like exposure therapy, somebody's terrified of flying. So they do all these things that kind of simulate like you're going to fly until you get better and better you play it out literally and and act out how you would handle it. And then when you can kind of feel a little bit more comfortable then maybe you feel more in control of your own emotions. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that I don't feel I think I don't think you have to approach everything consciously this way for it to happen. I no, mean, I, no. I would be the first to say that probably uh, you know, the majority of the things I do that I just like doing or I just feel like doing or think there are motivations like that buried in there somewhere. You know? Sure. And and you only, let's face it, we only generally look for them when there's a problem, right? If something gets really crappy and interferes with your life, then you go dig around in that and try to figure out which part is that. But honestly, they're all that way, you know? You know, and <laughs> when I when I started college, there were some stories that I read that were like the O'Connor stories that were kind of those are messed grisly up. And, and, yeah, those are. yeah and, and dark and morbid and scary. And I found comfort in reading them. And I found comfort especially in having a teacher, first of all, who laughed at them and who found the humor in it. And it gave me a lot of comfort to be able to see humor in these scary stories because it wasn't 
death exactly like physical real death that bothered me but other things in my life metaphorical death you know uh, things that represent kinds of deaths like death of the spirit or, or death of your ability to be who you are all these other things you know if you get if you feel that way metaphorical death can really be therapeutic too you know reading these stories that are really hard to deal with and the laughing reading edgar Allan poe's cask of amontillado and realizing how funny it really is even though it's not also right all i can picture is audra and a bunch of other kids like in black robes with the big closet and the thing in it it's like <laughs> remember laugh all right open the door <laughs> Audra's like, eh. that's awesome that's awesome or like, uh, you know, you, the Zen she said earlier was like, the, I am not afraid of you. All I could picture is like freaking dances with wolves. I am wind in his hair. I am not afraid of you. Uh, but yeah. It's, I thought of uh, Simba in The Lion King. <laughs> I left in the face of death. <laughs> he squeaks. That's awesome. He tries to roar and he's like, eh. I'm impervious to physical pain. Oh, no, no, no not my pain. It, it's... It's a little different. Um, it's from a funny thing happened in the way of the forum. No one's ever seen that probably, but wait, no, Chuck and I watched it years ago, but it's really? just been a while. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's been a long That's a great time. movie. Uh, but, uh, you remember Chuck, the, the, the romance and then they like, they stay in that place and they like divide the bedroom in half and stuff. Yeah, and, no. Yeah, that was awesome. But, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure where the whole Halloween thing... And, like, you could track the evolution of Christmas pretty easy because they tell you, sure. you know, it's a Saturnalia miracle. But uh, it's... Halloween, for me, has never been one of those things I was seriously into. Yeah, me either, I guess. I, it was it was not one of the, the... Like, Christmas always fascinated me. It's like, I want to know everything about this. A fat man gives you presents? Tell me more, you know. Uh, <laughs> but the the whole candy thing is like, I mean, I have to go interact with other people? I'm out, you know. So it was never that that big thing. And I know a lot of people, this is like the, the biggest thing of the year for them. You know, like my other half, for instance, like takes three days off to, to make sure she can do Halloween the right way with, with Squeak and everything. Because it's, it's like super important. I her. think honestly, if I had kids, it would I, I wouldn't argue with that. I mean, the the idea of it being the day where it's okay to cosplay i mean let's be serious that's what it is that's pretty awesome it is the day where the rest of the world partakes in what a group a a small group of of at least the rest of the country awesome people yeah 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 take advantage go ahead and jump in and try out the thing that lots of people know is fun all the time you know and that's kind of cool i mean i i could see that Especially as a kid, it's like super important. I mean, as an adult, it's fun too. But as a kid, it's it's almost necessary. Yeah, for know? cosplayers, man, it, the Halloween comes around and they're like, "The day is mine." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder about that. I should I should ask friends that are because I wonder how many too are like, "Yeah, not really." Uh, I don't know. I don't want to do that. You know, I'd be interested to know. I know my like I said, my niece, she prepares for Halloween like most people plan for a trip to the moon. I mean, she is. Do a lot of people plan for a trip to the? <laughs> well, the I'm ones just, who do, though. The ones who do. <laughs> I don't always plan it's for like a trip to the moon. Like one of those sensory deprivation do, tanks. Like, I'll make sure my costume is perfect. <laughs> She's doing free fall exercises, skydiving. Hell yeah! My witch's hat will not come loose. <laughs> it will not come loose. No matter what velocity I'm going, Akio broom. Uh, no, she's been sitting around eating astronaut food for days. Oh yeah, tang. We're so in a diaper. It's in a refrigerator. <laughs> 
<laughs> the diaper kills me because all I can think of now is the diaper wearing astronaut stalker. That's chick. what she I was know, making a reference to. Yeah, I just, I just can't, I can't think anybody who heard her like crazy eyes mugshot like. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> You're like, ooh, ooh. oh, I am so sorry. I'm interject something that should have been in the new section. Uh, you guys, you guys realize commercial commercial space travel. We talked a long time back. We did a little uh, little arc on space travel. We talked Yay. about commercial space travel For and sure. how how this commercialization and sending the money out instead of just building, having the government be the general contractor for everything in the universe. We said, yeah, it might be a good idea. It might be cool. And some people are like, well, it's only suborbital and blah blah blah. Okay, so you uh, did everybody notice that the Falcon Nine, the the completely commercially built booster, right? launched and delivered to the space station their their craft oh, yeah. which is essentially their manned craft without the the life support and all the other stuff it's the same shape and right. and makeup and it was everything. unmanned unmanned but yeah. it was full of supplies for the space station not the one that had a, like a booster problem on they the way lost up an, or they lost an engine the shuttle has lost engines three or four times yeah. on the way up um it was well past the uh the press to orbit they were able to to go ahead and put it in a lower well, orbit I saw it and made then, it yeah. and then use a slightly longer burn on the upper stage to put it in into like its that final MST3K orbit. movie where it's refueling in the air for like an hour enjoying it close up <laughs> starfighters <laughs> yeah no but uh bottom line i just wanted to say first orbital delivery for a commercial fully commercial spacecraft uh they are talking about making manned flights with Who was their it? again no. spacex Oh, okay. So uh, that's uh, that's what Bert Rutan's. No, sorry. Nope. Unrelated. Uh, Bert Rutan is in the business of doing suborbital flights for commercial tourism ah, in a vehicle okay, okay. that's like larger. This is a, a commercial booster, completely delivered. Yeah, these are space missions. Yes, they are talking about doing uh, orbital flights with their spacecraft, uh, their manned spacecraft, in a year or two. And that's that very awesome. realistic. I mean, that is not unrealistic. And I, I in the have least. to say, I'm sorry for the in the last podcast when we were talking about the guy who did the um, the jump from like oh, 100,000 feet, way. whatever. And that? I was I was kind of snarking about it or whatever, but it's actually really really awesome. And he did successfully. It is a stunt, jump. and and I know, and I I think this is funny. Too. I was just okay. being a douche, but the meme, it, no, no, the meme know, that's been really, making around. Have you seen the one where uh, yeah. uh, that awkward that awkward moment? You know. Those that meme, you know, it's the picture of him standing there getting ready to that awkward moment where you realize an energy drink has a better space program than your country. Okay, first of all, riding a balloon up, I mean, kids can put Legos on a balloon and run them up. I mean, it's not from a technological standpoint, this is not a big feat. Okay, uh, from a balls out standpoint, this is a big feat. Okay, <laughs> I mean. I mean the guy the guy fell supersonic. That's pretty cool. Okay, I'm not diminishing that in the least. I watched it. Live. What does that sound I it was like? Really I wonder. Cool. Uh, nothing. For it, the most part, if because you scream, very what little, happens to your screen? Very little atmosphere where he was. Yeah. Uh, you, you people on the ground hear it through your radio. He did not scream. In fact, uh, if you listen to the radio on his uh, following section, even when uh, as he approached the, the 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 sound barrier and 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 essentially began to spin in kind of an odd way around it. Uh, kind of a tense moment, you like know, vertically, no, like running around and in a very odd way, he was pulling some G's spinning and it was a bad thing. And he managed to stabilize it right as he went through. And then, of course, it was stable. Um, it was uh, it was kind of a cool moment. But if you listen, he's kind of he's talking to him and figuring it out, you know. Wow. Really impressive. impressive. So. Uh, anyway, enough about that. There's I like just, vomit flying out of his suit. I would have just <laughs> peed myself. I know, <laughs> me too. This is what Sean would have sounded like. This would have been the radio when Sean comes out. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. 
John, we see you're dehydrated. (laughs) (laughs) The great yellow yellow streak in the sky. (laughs) Hey, the shit has come out. (laughs) Good thing I wore my yellow pants. Actually, did you see him land? Brown rimmer safety pants. He landed and uh, landed standing up like a like a normal skydiver. And then turned around and like handled his shoot and then like dropped to his knees and was like, hell yeah, it's a great (laughs) shot. Not one of those like, thank God I'm on the ground, but like that. That was awesome moments. You're like, yeah, that's cool. Anyway, he's like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> no kidding. Probably not. But anyway, I just wanted to say the important thing here. No kidding. We're going to have commercial space flight and orbital space flight, and it is not far off. I mean, we're talking next year, year after year after we're going to have seven people and being delivered to the space this is badass. Yeah. That space hotel guy that everybody's been making fun of. Um, <laughs> he's booking stuff now. Yeah, everybody. That dude's going to be the next Bill Gates, and everybody's going to be like, he's going to be like, ha, ha, you oh. know, <laughs> oh, yeah. totally sticking it to you, you know. No, really, I'm going to make an inflatable space hotel, and they're like, oh, you are a complete nut, man. It's you and that they fake the moon guy, moon landing guy, man. I mean, seriously, you are out there, and he's like, hey, guess what? Yeah, the I mean, and. <sighs> Humans are full of that, too, because you got the guy who's like, I'm going to make a hotel entirely of ice, and people will come to it, and it will be awesome. And then, <laughs> and then they built book one. Solid. Yeah, books. <laughs> solid. No pun intended. Uh, and, I mean, there's the guy who ran the marathon recently in flip-flops. I mean, and they're like, oh, you can't do that. You'll just you kill yourself. People run barefoot. You know, he's like, no, no, it'll be fine. You know, he figured it How out. How fast and, did he do it? <laughs> uh, sub, I think it was like sub- Three hours? Really? Yeah. Okay, that's fast. I mean, you can wow. look it up. I mean, he was doing like six and eight minute miles and, and stuff or whatever it was. I mean, he was he's <laughs> wow. Mo- he's moving. Uh, yeah, but you, I mean, he's in the he's now the Guinness Book of World Records holder on that, and and he's they're like, what if somebody beats you? He's like, then I will congratulate them because I'm not doing it again. <laughs> you know, but. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, yeah. The first to run a marathon in Crocs. <laughs> yeah. The first to run a marathon in high heels. Cup, 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 for 26 miles. For 26 miles. For 26 miles. Not happening. But I mean, humans are famous for that. I am just blown away. I got to say, I didn't, I was worried. I thought, oh crap, you know, and our country may not have that greatest, uh, uh, a space program but we're fixing to i think um, there's enough evidence that that this is a commercially viable entity and and that this is something that we can do and the thing is they're not just doing space missions to do space missions they're finding commercial reasons to do that sort of thing and that makes a difference that's something i've always uh, harped on about nasa it's like well why is this important what are you doing what are you trying to accomplish yeah, it's time to stop being the first guy to take a leak in orbit and, yeah. and the first six the first three people to go into <laughs> space together and yeah find a reason to be there yeah. i don't have well, any problem are. with any space there's all kinds of crap you can Everything do from manufacturing to zero g manufacturing to tourism i mean it's all there we got reasons it's just yeah. it's time we to start any doing it yet. for that reason instead of you know because it's cool it is cool i agree there's an economic reason behind or, or significant factor behind a reason to do something this propels economy on this planet and if you can find those in space and i think there's tons uh i this is something that we will work towards. If it's just one of those, wouldn't it be cool if that wears off? 
You know, as yeah, we saw, sadly, exploration is rarely. Yeah, that wears enough, off. I mean, look. I mean, when we explored the planet, there were reasons to go there. We were looking for crap and looking for faster ways to do things. Even and Gene Roddenberry's vision had to make a profit on TV. You know. I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. just <laughs> like even the shat made cash. <laughs> uh, so there's there's there needs to be reasons behind it. I think we're That's starting just to sad. It's those. true. But I know. It's sad. I'm sorry. It is, I'm sorry. And I know. It's, but, but but Sean, like you're an artist. I mean, artists have to come to accept that very early on in your in well, your decision I'm a, making. You I'm know, a commercial artist, is and this is true. And I'm a, also a personal artist. But I never expect the personal art to 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 do the things that the commercial art does. Commercial art is just that someone somewhere, or you were doing this for a reason to pay this or, you know, to pay me. There's <laughs> to pay me, me, <laughs> not so, people, others, me. me. <laughs> uh, I will tailor that so that I have the best expectation yeah. of getting there. This is the same thing. I mean, you're, I've got to say I, I'm, and I'll be the last one you probably would expect to hear this from, but I would be willing to say that, People do, in fact, do things for reasons, not just for money. You know, I mean, money is definitely a factor, but there are other reasons, too. Well, sure. There's and, other reasons. And money is is one very viable way to to allow us to get from all the various crap people need and want into what we need and want. You know, I'm not entirely sure. And I don't think it's happening anytime soon, but I'm not willing to rule out the Roddenberry-like idea that at some point we might find a better way yeah. to get from the crap others want and need to the crap we want and need than money. There might be another way to do that, and if we could figure it out, because quite honestly, let's face it, money itself is dirty and crappy and not particularly valuable. Money like on its own. Physically or, or yeah. like morally? <laughs> money, as a friend of mine used to say, yeah. is called, yes, but money, as a friend of mine used to say, are essentially fun tickets. You don't give a damn about money. What you care about is what you can buy with it. Well, it, yeah. If you could get... Because money money is potential to yeah, do things. Yeah, my point potential being that if choice. you could get the things that you need and want, and you were excited and, and happy, I mean, you wouldn't care if there was money or not. <laughs> Chuck doesn't need money. What do you need mine for? <laughs> nice. Yeah, and that's the trick, isn't it? I mean, like I said, not anytime soon, I don't think, and we're not, we're not going to just overnight, but... I, I think it's possible some point far enough. I mean, remember, he was talking about hundreds of years down the road, right? Well, back to 500 the years down the road, that could happen. Why not? You know? I was going to say, back to the wisdom of Red Dwarf and that episode, I think it's marooned. They're burning stuff to keep Lister alive on the planet. And, yeah. And Rimmer has like hundreds of thousands of pounds or, you know, like just paper Money. cash yeah. wadded up that they end up burning in this burning barrel because... Well, first of all, they're like three million years into deep space. Like, no anything. one's yeah. gonna take it anyway, so it's well, just secondly, paper. But it's yeah. just paper; it burns, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but there's, I I don't know the, the world of tomorrow. <laughs> I, I don't know, up, Terry. Yeah. I like to think that there's a possibility out there. You know? I like to think there's a possibility. I don't think it'll be in my lifetime. I would probably agree with that. <laughs> Mine either, and I expect to live to four hundred. So. Uh, I, right. I, I was going to be that crazy old space dude who like, uh, lives floating in the, the vacuum or whatever so that he can maintain his life forever. Like in contact. <laughs> Ouch. Drop what? me through a ball. In it's, a portal awesome. And it's awesome. It'll be like the, the year, like 2379 and Chuck will be up there still full head of hair, you know, more likely I'll, I'll be like, uh, uh, what was it? Is it Bowman or Pool that ends up in three thousand one? Oh, dude, I don't give me I think, a lie. I, think I have it, no idea. 
I think it's pool. Any, anyway, yeah, because he's the one that gets thrown away, right? In 2001. It's been a while since I watched it. I really need to do that. Yeah, because Bowman's the one that goes on to be the star child. And, 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 I thought it was Bowie. And pool. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That was a good pull right there. Uh, but but Poole is the one that gets gets flung away. Rejected. Yeah, yeah, when he's working on the, the AE35, right? So, um, yeah, Poole is the one that wakes up later, and he's just, like, completely out of time. He's like, you know, the world has gone on to pansexual tree beings, and he's like, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do here. I'm not Where kidding. Where do I stick it? <laughs> exactly. He's like, nothing I do is of value anymore. Basically, like, prehistoric Ireland, right? <laughs> That's pansexual sheep being. Yeah. Hey. No, that's Scotland. <laughs> oh, damn. We have not just pissed off an entire oh, continent. Oh, wow. And New Zealand. Oh, wow. Okay. It's <laughs> like, please oh. stop doing this. I can hear people stop turning digging, this off Stop now. digging. Stop digging. <laughs> We're just kidding, Irish and Scottish people. Is that your, your hose again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every time, of this every time Chuck does a shovel with his hands, it's, it's hard to like do in this box. This rhythmic jack it's great. <laughs> if that's how you do it, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Just saying. We're, that's what we're telling you. <laughs> his I'm hands shoveling. are coiled around like three <laughs> feet apart from one I'm another. Shoveling. That's a different <laughs> task has, altogether. One day we're going to get a list and, and do pictorial diagrams of Chuck indecipherable <laughs> gestures. <laughs> like the, the, this gesture, which it looks be, like he's flipping you off in like Bulgaria or something. It could mean I have a problem with my finger. Please, will you help me? Or it could it's be any a number bird. of this things. Or <laughs> doesn't yes, even have wings. We know the finger goose. <laughs> all right so we that's should, halloween yeah we should wrap up sorry about that i had to get the little plug for commercial space white and oh do you got anything to add here at the end yes i think that actually um this conversation ties in you know still well to the conversation about halloween because we're talking about the unknown and fearing the unknown and you know taking steps to force ourselves to face things that are scary right and i think you know i'm a humanist um and I, I teach English, but my degree is technically in humanities, and I consider myself a humanist. And I'm so interested in that aspect of these things. So, you know, I may have kind of a shallow knowledge of, like, practical science, but but I love science because it relates directly to human visions for how things should be and, and dreams and, and, like, the Roddenberry ideas and stuff like that. So I think that when you're talking about people who venture out into the land of uh, zombies or ghosts or paranormal or, you know, all that kind of stuff that's kind of scary, it empowers us. I think it also empowers us to look up at the stars and figure out how can we, how can we propel ourselves into orbit? How can we take ownership of everything we've got? And, and really, instead of just kind of passively letting things happen to us, how can we make things the way we want them to be? And I think that that's a really... Um, awesome part of the human spirit audra skill take all the crap that we come up with random crap that we throw into an episode and tie it together somehow <laughs> into this magic bow i'll just you shut know, up it, it comes from teaching because you'll be like <laughs> i have to teach this concept and then i'll go off on some dumb story and you're like i have to make this story sound like it really really <laughs> yeah. yeah but she can do it with our dumb stories that's pretty impressive <laughs> you gotta admit yeah. sean Oh, yeah, like I'm going to follow, follow uh, Otters <laughs> as we gaze up at the stars. <laughs> dunk, dunk. Yeah. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> dunk, dunk. 
You know, she all like Carl Sagan wraps it up and stuff. You know, I'm like, quick stop. Yeah, that'd be good. Like, like uh, I have something prolific to add. That'd be like yeah. a good dish at Subway, the Carl Sagan wrap. <laughs> so, Sean, it's got yeah, billions and billions of calories. Yeah, she's already launched a Starship Imagination over there. I think I'm good. Thanks for listening. We're sorry we rambled on about useless crap. Back to you. It's what we do, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> back to you. Talking crap about crap for six years. <laughs> Talking crap about stuff for seven years now. Pretty much, man. Well, hey, I show no. fart confusion. Indeed. Thank you for listening. We hope that uh, you enjoyed our, our kind of, uh, you know, talking our tightly <laughs> produced. Don't show. ruin it. Don't ruin it. Just say goodbye. I'm just like, you ruined my balls, man. <laughs> See you next week. On behalf of everyone here at GWC, thanks for listening. And thanks to all who make GWC possible, including producers Soleil, form moderators Badger Spoon, Pike, and Frackentalos, GWC Book Club Maven, Casilda, and tech guru Juan Drew. Remember, if you'd like to share your opinions with the GWC crew and listeners, you can call us anytime at 214-296-9229, extension 701. You can also contact us via galacticwatercooler.com, our website and blog. But you should really spend some time over on the GWC forum. GWCers really are the friendliest people on sci-fi. We're always re-watching or group reading something fun. You might even find a GWC meetup somewhere near you. GWC is funded by advertising and by listeners like you. For information on how you can donate, visit galacticwatercooler.com slash support. Finally, special thanks to Ferris and his friends Encoder and Jim Minadeo for GWC's sweet theme music. For more Encoder, visit them at myspace.com slash Encoder.